Today, we're going to be making conversations about hypnosis count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, we've cracked over a thousand downloads just of the show resources. So where you see the show notes, we've been putting documents from the guests with some free tips, tricks and help. Over on the website, you've got offers. So make sure you take a look at what our guests are leaving for you and let us know what the best tips have been for you. I'm looking at getting more guests that will be able to help those start up, scale up and shake up businesses. If there's a topic that you want to know about, get in touch with me here at the show. Don't forget to leave a review for us. I always shout you out every time we get one. I received a lovely comment from Sharon in Leamington Spa. She'd been reading my book, Making Conversations Count, and her number one takeaway was that she'd loved the quote from page 104. She'd been struggling with meeting people in person. And I talk a little bit about personality types and how to be able to understand being able to match and mirror. And when it comes to the in-person, I'd left her this quote for everybody to read. And it goes like this. They say eyes are the door to the soul. I say that eyes are the door to the sale. I'm really glad that helped you, Sharon, and I hope that it helps others too. Because when you are in person, that eye contact really does make a difference. Thank you. Do you fancy learning how to talk yourself into almost anything? A form of self-suggestion hypnosis? Or is it that you would like to make friends with yourself and influence people? Well, you're in for a real treat as this conversation with Jonathan Chase twists and turns. He's really naughty. Please stay tuned. Brace yourself for the next half hour. Hello, Wendy. How are you? I'm absolutely splendid. I love doing that with podcasters, you know. I love getting in first and saying, how are you, before they ask me, because I'm feeling crap. Well, let's get to the bottom of that. Have you not been doing any hypnosis on yourself to lighten this mood? No, there's no such thing as self-hypnosis. You can program yourself by repetition, by giving yourself, I don't know, affirmations you can call them, you know. But if you talk to yourself, I did a TED talk on how to talk yourself into anything. And you can talk to yourself and you can talk to yourself. But if you put yourself into trance, and that's a hypnotic trance, then your subconscious mind is totally dominant. Your subconscious mind, your imagination is taken over completely. And if you are consciously aware enough to give yourself suggestions, then you're not hypnotized. So, so yes, you actually can't do can't it. Do it's it. a myth. And there's loads and loads and loads of really respected people I respect in the business who would come out with long-winded explanations about how it's all self-hypnosis and blah, 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 blah. And I do not believe that's true. I think it's a myth. I'll tell you why. After hypnotizing tens of thousands of people, 
on stage and watching how they react to suggestions. I have never seen anybody capable of hypnotizing themselves and not being able to remember their name. I've not seen anybody who can hypnotize themselves and have a complete and absolute hallucination that they are talking to God. Well, God's okay. Most people can do that, certainly in churches. <laughs> but, but, you know, they don't go through the complete and absolute hallucination that the people who are properly hypnotized do. You know, it's yeah. as simple as that. Can you program yourself? Yes, you do it all the time. Absolutely, 100%. You know, if I ask you how you feel right now, you won't say, well, actually, my shoulder's slightly uncomfortable because I'm twisted a bit too much or I can feel the hair on the back of my neck's getting a bit longer. You'll say, well, actually, I'm quite happy today. And you start giving me all these emotive things and all of those are opinions anyway. Yeah, yeah. State you know? of mind. So I don't do the self-hypnosis thing because I've even tried it on stage where I've said, right, it all, apparently all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, so I'll just stand here and do nothing. You lot carry on with it. And nothing has ever happened. <laughs> there needs to be some action if they don't know. There needs to be. There's no direction. Or hypnosis, the hypnosis has to be induced, and it's induced by fascinating somebody and by conversation which let's face it you know that's what this is all about and by conversing with somebody's subconscious to bring the imagination out so that the imagination is totally dominant yeah some people call it the monkey brain which is totally untrue because there's no evidence that we were ever monkeys actually we probably weren't apes either they're our cousins we're not descended from them we're a different line of that particular family we're getting but very Darwin now. We are, we are. Yeah, I was reading it yesterday. So it took <laughs> it's in your head. brain, yeah. But, 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 but there is part of your brain called the limbic system, and that's where all your responses are decided before you rationalise why you're doing that, yeah? So everybody responds at that level. And as far as we can tell, the limbic system is where the imagination is, is where the subconscious lies. And that's the bit that we want totally dominant. When that becomes dominant, yeah, my intro for years and years and years, three things happen to you when you become hypnotized. First and foremost, you feel amazingly focused. Secondly, your imagination is expanded way beyond your wildest dreams. And thirdly, and most importantly to the stage hypnotist, your inhibitions are drastically lowered. And hence being able to, I suppose, manipulate people on stage. Absolutely. It's yeah. 100% manipulation. Yeah. It's now, mind control. Although ooh. hypnotherapists are going, ah! This leads me on nicely. We have a listener question for you. And when I say listener, I mean my 12-year-old daughter. Right, okay. <laughs> this is for Alice. At the dinner table yesterday, she said something about sleep. And she said, what I get really confused about, she said, is that you can have a dream and you can come out of the dream and wake up. And then you can go back to that same dream. Everybody's still in the same place doing whatever it was that she was doing before she woke up. And she just said, how do the people in the dream feel when I leave them and I'm just a shell in the dream? And I thought, oh, God, how do I answer this? Because I could understand what she was trying to say. uh, Okay, okay, right. I was listening to another podcast earlier this morning, fabulous 
podcast. You should listen to. It's the only one that's free. It's Ricky Gervais and psychologist friend of his. It's called totallymental.com. If you go to totallymental.com, you get the first episode free and then it's Ricky Gervais. So he charges you $14.95 for the other 10. Okay, yeah. But they're talking about this sort of thing. They're actually talking about dreams. And I love what the Americans said to a very similar question when Ricky asked him. We don't know. We have no idea. We only have half an idea of what dreaming is and what it's for. We've got plenty of excuses why we dream that we've made up that are very logical and very cognitive. But literally, we don't know. We don't even know what's going on at a neurological level when we're dreaming. So the answer for a 12-year-old, for me, the perfect answer would be they will feel whatever you want. Oh, that's a good one. It's your dream. Yes. No, that is a good one because that's really like affirming. I wish you'd have asked me that before we started this bloody thing. That's just off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) But I know what a professional you are, Jonathan, and it's about feeling like you're in control, isn't it? So if you start to worry about something that's on a different plane, whether that's be dreaming, whether that be daydreaming even, or if you're really struggling to focus, it is that ultimately we are in charge of ourselves and we can take back control. And I think this is where hypnosis can help if you get the right help. Yeah, it depends. On a therapeutic level, what you're actually buying, what you're actually getting, mostly, most of the time of most people is some psychotherapy and there may be some relaxation involved in that and they may induce trance and that sort of thing. That tends not to be in my book, and there are several. There's Deeper and Deeper, The Secrets of Stage Hypnosis. There's How to Be an Original You see that? (laughs) Oh, you're old enough. You're old enough. And actually, you're the one. You bought it. (laughs) How to Make Friends with Yourself and Influence People. Yes. Um, But in my book, most therapeutic hypnosis isn't. There's some people like Tim Box, who would be good to have on the show, if he can ever find the time, is a TEDx speaker. Um, I love being able to say that. I've been waiting for years and years and years to be able to say that. I did it virtually with a university in India last year. And what was your TEDx about? It's called How to Talk Yourself into Almost Anything. It's about talking to your subconscious mind as if it's a separate entity, because it is. Okay, yeah. On a mental level, it is. I mean, physiologically, you know, there's not a little person living inside your head. Numbskulls. Well, not as far as we know anyway. But the subconscious and the conscious mental processes are very, very different, very separate. So if you want your subconscious mind to do something, go through an imaginative scenario where you put yourself on screen and you can say, right, okay, I'm talking to my subconscious now, what should I do? Just say the first thing that comes into your head. I think you should scratch your ear off. Okay, I'll do that. That didn't seem to solve the problem. Oh, you want to solve a problem. And I have conversations like this with myself all the time, unless I take the medication. (laughs) But if you talk to yourself, if you actually talk to yourself and have a conversation like that, then you're doing it, but you're doing it at a low level and it's not as effective. So if you want to change your mind, ask your mind why it's doing what it's doing. Would you say that talking out loud empowers your mind 
Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said, and certainly, you know, I'm going to touch on this now. It's a big topic. We'll try and keep it tight. But social media, for example. Oh. Right. There are conversations on millions of people talking to themselves. But to me, it sort of can be a bit half-hearted, but I see a lot of conversations talking about the things that they worry about having a conversation about. Whereas had they just grabbed somebody that they respect, not necessarily somebody who's a friend or family, because they will agree with you and support you in everything that you do. You need somebody unbiased, I think, sometimes to give you that kind of honesty. You don't know my family. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're from my neck of the woods, so I can imagine they're a good crowd. But it's that talking it out. So sometimes the problems that we think we've got, as soon as we say them out loud, we feel, oh, God, now it sounds as dumb as it is out loud, but in my mind, it was a big problem. So I think we ought to practice talking about these things out loud more if it's not to anybody, to ourselves, perhaps. Well, you know, there's that old adage, talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. The first sign of madness is not listening. Yes. That's the thing, because we don't listen to ourselves, you know, and you know and I know. We're having a conversation with somebody and they'll say 97 million bad things about themselves. It's like looking at a lot of psychopaths because schizophrenics, because most people are different Mm -hmm. online than they are offline. But not having a conversation with yourself is a wasted opportunity because otherwise you go online And you can't mention that person down the road you don't like and what they did unless they just happen to be exactly the same history as you, the same ancestry as you, the same DNA as you. I I didn't say race. The same belief system as you. I didn't say religion. And the only person they can actually have a go at now is themselves, and they do. It's like cannibalism of the mind, really, isn't it? I like to keep all my conversations positive, to have some value or some purpose, to reach somebody as much as an affirmation to myself as to anybody else, because I think that it's too easy to be negative. It's too easy to run things down when it's not going your own way. I'm a stoic. I don't see any sense in positive or negative. There just is what there is. And it's need. It just either works for you or it doesn't. I knew you that know. I was going to get the work. I, I think the productive overrides positive every day. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because you can do productive thinking. You can think, right, I live my life in a wheelchair. How do I get to the top of that mountain? Well, first of all, I'm either going to need a team of rugby players who want to lift me up there or I'm going to need a helicopter. And I can do that no matter what mood I'm in. I don't have to be in a whole happy, jeery, positive mood to be practical. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't have to be in a negative mood to be practical either because it's almost Hippocratic thing in personal development, you know, where, oh, you've got to think positively, but you've got to make mistakes otherwise you'll never learn anything. You've got to be comfortable otherwise you'll never learn anything. But hang on a minute, if I'm uncomfortable and I'm making mistakes, I'm not feeling very positive. So how am I, what am I learning? Ah, but if you're positive, then you won't make mistakes. You're going to take the lesson. Yeah. I see that. I mean, it's the, yeah, it's the hypocrisy of the idea of personal development. Personal development comes from learning something new you didn't know yesterday. And you can do that. You can do that reading. You can do that. You can do that by watching some video or something. You can do it by picking up a really, really good book 
like subconscious skill success or something like that. I wouldn't promote on your podcast that. It's not nice. I actively <laughs> endorse it because I want listeners to be able to carry on the conversation, whether that be picking up the book and reading it, going to your website and seeing what videos or resources you've got. That is the point and purpose for me. You know, the podcast, God, it's great. I get to have fab conversations with guests like you. I get Let's to face it, you cannot think of anything else to do, can you? you just <laughs> Well, no, yeah, is this is my productive passion that's a bit of a sin, but I can travel the world without a passport and have conversations with you racial know, people. People have been saying to me, oh, hasn't lockdown been terrible? The roads have been quiet. Shops have been quiet. Um, <laughs> there was no queue when I went down the front the other day and had a burger. You know, the, <laughs> the only people out in the bed were people of my age. I don't like senior or elderly, but more mature people. And I think it's a bloody shame we're getting rid of it. But a lot of people also have found that their borders don't need to be this tiny little physical thing where you're only available to that little physical world anymore. Jane and I were talking the other day and she said, you know, we're living in our science fiction. I had to agree to it because when we were teenagers, we were reading books by people like Asimov. And we were reading those, you know, and they were saying you could have a video conversation with somebody on the other side of the world and rubbish, you know, total complete. I was talking to a guy in New Zealand yesterday. Where was I on? Can't get further away from Great Britain than New Zealand. No, that's true. (laughs) I was in Thailand last week and Oman, (laughs) Canuck. Well, somebody's got to be. I've got family there. Wouldn't they admit to that? Why? Well, I've got family there. No, they probably there. wouldn't admit to knowing me. <laughs> My youngest just moved to a house. And... Anyway, right, yes. we digress. Look, communication, it's kind of been the underpin of your career, really, hasn't it, Jonathan? You know, with being on stage, celebrity status, being able to get up and do your TEDx You've got to be able to engage that audience, oh, whether they're interactive the or not. It's a digital. I just recorded it here. But you've got to still imagine that conversation hitting home, haven't you? You've still got to be able Absolutely. to deliver that Absolutely. for the audience. What I asked the students, I think it was Bengal University and Bengal Engineering University, and what I asked them to do was get me six students on a Zoom and I recorded my bit of it, but I presented to the students. It's as we were discussing before we started, you know, the one thing about showbiz, which Zoom does give you in a a room for, and it's shown it with programmes like BGT, where they've had virtual audiences, and The Voice, where they've had virtual audiences. Having that virtual audience, seeing people's faces, and that gives you instant feedback that you can perform to and ride the energy of. And a lot of people can't do that. I do that when I telephone conversation because I'm old. So I actually sometimes actually pick the phone up and talk to people like this. And I'm not looking at, but in my head, I'm imagining that person. And I'm imagining the reactions, you know, working off that. So our imagination is just so so vastly underused and Sadly, in school, we teach how to do logical things. We don't teach really how to do creative and imaginative things. No, it's something that I certainly stumble across when I'm training because I'm being a telephone trainer. People don't want to pick up the phone because all the different reasons that they say is that 
well, what if I'm interrupting them? What if they answer the phone and they're like, hello and hello? And it's, you know, well, at the end of the day, you know, you don't know what's going on the other end of the phone, but we do quickly multi-switch. If we hear something to tap into that's pleasing, we won't mind being interrupted. We won't. I always say to people this, if you want to have a really, really good telephone conversation, stick a picture up on your screen or next to your, to your phone or whatever of somebody or something that makes you feel good and makes you smile and smile. So instead of picking the phone up and going, hello, pick the phone up and go, hello, because people can hear a smile. It's incredible that people can hear a smile. Yeah, smile while you dial, kind of. Yeah, it's an industry statement. Is it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a glutton for people not being nasty with me. It's called self-preservation. Now it comes from, I did my showbiz training in the working men's clubs and the miners' welfare clubs. Apart from two collieries that were working at the time in the 1990s, apart from two, I've worked the social club or a welfare club in every single colliery in the country. Because I started in Cannock, where at the time there were six collieries. There used to be 15. I did Leal and Cannock West Number 5 and Mid Cannock, and I did all those. And then people from other other collieries were there, and they'd come up to you after this, come and do our club, come and do our club, I'll have a word with you in a second. And you're going out, you're going out on a Friday or a Saturday night. The guy's gone into the club to meet his mates, you know, have a couple of points, watch whatever's on the stage, whatever, because they're sitting in that room, so they might as well, you know, it's free. Mm -hmm. The women are there for a couple of hours as a bingo, and the kids are there to make as much noise as possible running around in my day with a bottle of Vimto and a packet of crisps, you know. It's always smoky bacon. Oh, no, cheese and onion. Yeah, <laughs> <Smoky> bacon. <laughs> But in my day, there was cheese and onion or salt. I'd walk out on stage and I'd have 250 guys sitting there who'd spent seven hours a day for the last seven days in a hole in the bloody ground. And they were sitting there with their arms. So I'd say, go on then, entertain us. And if you don't, we're yeah. good shots. Yeah. <laughs> so you learn that self-preservation thing and you learn that if you're not... 250 nice pieces back. of coal would keep you warm in winter, wouldn't it? No, oh, I didn't have to worry about that because I was still living at my dad's. <laughs> Miners got a full coal house as part of their wages. Yes. They okay, were never so very rich, but they were never coal. What I think is sometimes lacking today, and we did touch on this as we were chatting before we came on, was that resilience. It's also that fear. If you haven't got that fear that you're not going to do well, your mindset is fairly similar to mine, I think, is that you would want, even if you had nerves and wanted to run off and retch because it's something new and that overriding feeling of a wave of fear was coming over you, that you'd still want to do well. Right. Whereas I think it's kind of agreeable that you can run off and retch and you don't have to come back and people go, oh, don't worry. They that seems to be it. the point. The point seems to be, oh, I'm nervous. Oh, well, that's OK. Then we'll put you through to the final. Oh, I'm upset. Oh, you know, that offended me. Good. Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
this sounds either arrogant or disingenuous. I have never felt nervous in a situation where I've been on stage or I've been talking to strangers or I'm learning something new. I don't do that. I just don't do that. I think being born with a disability that's been with me my whole life, I was the clumsy kid in class. If anybody was going to fall over, it would be me. You know, I thought my name, he's gone again for the first 12 years of my life. What was that? Oh, he's gone again. Oh, all right. And it'd be not, me in a pile Not just half ten in the in bar. Well, God, no. I was in Blackpool, which, you know, we were all about 16, and we walked up to this club, and it was, you know, we were going up there getting some girls over the weekend. We never used to, you know. We used to just stand around looking as if we meant something and get drunk. And The, the intention was. The girls would dance did. around their handbags, you know, and then we'd go, so that was a good night. <laughs> <laughs> but I walked up to the door and because of the way I used to walk, because I have a muscular dystrophy called shock I'm married to. So up until about 20 years ago, when I started walking on crutches, I walked, but I walked different badly, you know. And the bouncer says, sorry, mate, you're not coming in. You've had way too much to drink. I said, smell me breath. He said, yeah, yeah, I've had that one before. I said, no, I haven't. So I eventually got in, did all the sobriety tests and fell over. So he said, yeah, but you're not going to cause any harm, are you? Go on, go on. But resilience comes inbuilt with that sort of thing. I've not been in that situation. My one drive when I walked out on a stage was get paid, you know, because... So that fear was greater. It, it wasn't fear. I was just else. in love with money. <laughs> what it could get me, you know. And, and what, it could, what it could get me and... I am so narcissistic as well. I love being in the bar after a great show and having a hundred people who hang hung around after the show who all wanted to talk to me or get me to sign Paul McKenna on bits of paper and that sort of thing. Well, I didn't know I might have been signing checks, so I always signed Paul McKenna. But um <laughs> Let's face it, he can afford Don't tell him. Don't tell Paul. <laughs> but that's always been my drive. And I stand aghast at people who are saying, Well, You've got to go outside of your comfort zone. If you're not comfortable doing what you're doing, you're not doing the right thing because you're told that you've got to be uncomfortable to learn something new by, I don't know, Tony Robbins, who's been doing exactly the same thing that he's comfortable doing for the last 40 years. And they say, oh, he takes risks. If your business is turning over 100 million a year, investing 10 million of that into a project is not taking a bloody risk. It's just not because no. you've got so much, that's nothing. And I worry about people because we're teaching kids now to be nervous. We're saying that you should be nervous in that situation. Well, why should you be nervous? What's the worst thing that can happen? And my philosophy is to always ask yourself that question. Right, I'm going into this situation. What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the consequences if you don't do it, I usually say? I like what Alex Mandosian, have you ever come across Alex Mandosian, the productivity guy? Great guy from America, lives mostly in Australia now. And Alex always said the same thing. It's not the ROI, it's not the return on investment, it's the COI, the cost of inaction. What's it going to cost you if you don't do it? Yes. You yeah. know, so it's not good being nervous about Two things that can happen in any situation, it works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you're exactly where you were when you started. Yet you tried. Well, you know, you can say that if you want. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Da, 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 da. 
if you don't try, it's kind of then you've got nothing to test and measure it against, have you? So if you can't test it and if it fails, then you can change it. So you're going to always be hopefully progressing to something that is nearer to success if you're trying. What's your success? Or my success? How will you know? I've talked to I've talked to loads of people. How will you know when you are successful? That's got to be my opinion versus the rest of the world, hasn't it? No, 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 because only your opinion counts for you. Nobody else's does. How will you know when you're successful? I'll be dead. Well, yeah, that's not very successful. Well, that's fairly easy to do. Stick a pen in your ear <laughs> and then batter your head against the wall. That should do that. Fine, you know, you can think about it. People used to say to me, how do you know when you're successful doing what you do? The audience would stand up. And you know, when 2,000 people stand up and do that, you can feel the wind. You don't feel it very often. You don't feel it every time. But that's when you know you're a success. And when somebody comes after you afterwards and says, I enjoyed that. That's why, folks, listen very carefully. You should subscribe to this podcast. You should leave a review and say, Wendy's wonderful, because she is. Even though she's from Yoxall, she's wonderful. <laughs> that's a Staffordshire joke. That's a South Staffs and an East Staffs joke. You'd have to live there to understand that. But yeah, it's very much a case of if you know what success is for you, then you can achieve that. If you don't know what it is, then you're never going to be successful, you know. I think it's quite an ambiguous question. Of course it is, and it's a very personal one. Because it's context as well. I would say that I'm more successful today than I am 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. And that's purely by starting to do the things that I want to do. Will I be more successful? God, I hope so. Don't we all? But I think it's the timing thing. I'm here right now because this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I love doing. So please don't take it away from me. Please listen. Please please share this with your friends. Subscribe and review. <laughs> Subscribe and review, folks. You can tell I sometimes do my own podcast. Subscribe and review. But yeah, no, look, look, the thing is, I agreed to do this podcast because we've had chats before through LinkedIn and we've got, now, I haven't been on LinkedIn for so long. I've got 984 notifications. <laughs> well, I'm glad that my name rose to the top of those because that was kind of how no, I yours, you're a follower, so you just came through the email. Otherwise, oh. I wouldn't have saw it. But the thing is, like I said right at the beginning, I think practicality is better than positivity because you can be practical at any time. I'm a stoic. I'm very stoic. I don't do the then and when, and I'm not hobbled by my history, and I'm not fired by my future. And just like I'm doing this now, and we'll see what the result is. And if it makes me happy, do you know what? I'm successful. Mm -hmm. And if it brings the things that make me able to enjoy what I'm doing, then I'm successful, you know. And I think that is the sign of success and loses some of its ambiguity. If you just say, right, okay, success is knowing that you did something you wanted to do well. It didn't harm anybody. I mean, because let's face it, we don't want to know about the success levels of people who are paedophiles or serial killers or stuff like that, you know, because their idea of success, we We only have to put the news on for that, don't we? We'd find that abhorrent, but to them, that's success. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, success to a criminal is not getting bloody caught. 
what's it called where you think that somebody is going to catch you out at not being very good at what you do? What's it called? Oh, the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. What a load of rubbish. That is just a total excuse for doing nothing, if ever there was one, you know. Now, people that know me, right? Are you going to publish this? You're uh, not going to yeah, publish. there's quite a lot of people that know me. And I've said this before with previous guests, I think. You should never mention to me something that you want to do with passion and feeling and emotion because... If it means that much to you to voice it and to tell me, I will make sure I do everything to do it for you. I'll give you an example. My husband said, I love Rag and Bow Man. I'd really like to see him in concert. Booked. It might be next year, but it's booked. And that's how I apply myself to work as well, is if there's something that needs to be done, get it done. Take action. I wish you lived with me. I love <laughs> I absolutely love putting the rubbish out. I love going to Tesco's and buying stuff. I love... (laughs) You can do all that for me. Good Lord. Yeah, get yourself organised. Jonathan, one thing that I ask every guest... Oh, here it is. Yes. Here it is. Here it is. He's prepared. This is the bit that I really love because I never know what anybody's going to say. And it is... To, to share that conversation that can bring value to other listeners, maybe in a similar situation and how you've handled that through conversation and what's happened afterwards can be a real blessing. It can be a real guide to us. So I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you take over. Let me introduce you to somebody. This guy here, I'm showing Wendy a picture if you're listening to this. <laughs> that guy is Jay Ruffley. He says the world's foremost hypnologist, which he isn't because a hypnologist is actually a scientific term for somebody who studies sleep. But when I met Jay, he was a Cherokee knife-throwing act. He's from Liverpool. He's my mentor, my show business mentor. He taught me how to stage a hypnosis show. He taught me about comedy. He taught me about all sorts of things, using music, putting a show together, everything. But I'd been sort of lapping all this up for about 12 months after I learned to be a hypnotist. And I even went on hypnosis training courses. We were proud put up in Scarborough and got all these nice bits of paper to make it easy to get a license to do a show. And But I hadn't actually done a show. And I rang him up and we're talking one night and, and I was going on about yeah when I'm doing my show I'll be doing this I'll be doing he said hang on hang on a minute now I can't do a little an accent otherwise I'd do it but he said hang on a minute hang on a minute. you will never make a stage hypnotist so long as you've got an, a hole in your bottom he didn't say bottom he said a but right and that made me really angry next day I was in my mate's leather shop where he made woggles for scouts and stuff and the local police officer, the local Bobby, walks in for his usual morning cup of tea. And because um, we had beat police officers in them days. And I said, what's up, Cedric? He said, oh, I've been asked to do the entertainments for the police social club Christmas dinner. This was about November time. I said, oh, right. He said, I'm looking for something different. He said, we have singers and comics every year. And I said, I'm a stage hypnotist. Oh, yeah? He said, oh, I've seen one of them in Jersey. I said, yeah. He said, how much are you? So I said, 250 quid, which was the first thing that came into my head, which was a massive amount of money in the late 80s. It was a lot of money. It was like three times what a singer would get paid. And he said, oh. He says, go on, I think we can just stretch them. So 
And I went straight upstairs. I rang Jane. Of course, he weren't doing anything because he was in show business and this was the middle of the afternoon, you know. Rang Jane. I said, see, I booked my first show. Don't ever say I'm nowhere. Anyway, yeah, I know you would. Because <laughs> he knew how to drive me. Yes. He made me and he put me in that position where don't tell me I can't do anything. So... That was probably the most profound conversation I ever had with anybody. Just somebody turning around saying, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, lots of people are saying, oh, yeah, but that came from a negative or that just shows how anger can be a positive thing or anything. It's just I was totally manipulated by somebody who knew me well enough to manipulate me and press my buttons. You know. And how was the show? <laughs> I was terrible. I was awful. Did you get paid? I got paid. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there's a restaurant in the middle of Canic Chase called the White House. Mm-hmm. And it was at the White House. And it was the middle of December. I went out. There was a couple of hundred people in the room. Half of them were police officers. You know, I thought, right, if I get this wrong, I'm going to get parking and jaywalking and everything for the next, you know. <laughs> It'd be worse than um, those miners, that's for sure. I, w- I was using a borrowed karaoke machine because I've got no equipment of my own. I'd gone out that afternoon and bought a £30 suit from Burton's in Canada. And they didn't quite fit because I'm a big, tall guy. I'm six foot one and quite broad. So, like, it sort of fitted. And I went out and I did my spiel and everything. That bit went okay because that was scripted and I knew what to do. And then I invited them to come up on stage, but I only managed to hypnotize two women. And I was so adamant I was going to get them hypnotized. I worked on them so long. One of them actually fell asleep and started snoring. <laughs> And the other one was so out of it. When I asked a question, she just went. And as I'm sitting here, this is the gospel truth. I turned around to all these people who were trying to have a laugh and a good night out. You know, I said, ladies and gentlemen, a remarkable thing's happened. We've hypnotized her so deeply. She's gone back to a past life as a caveman. <laughs> anyway, at the end of it, when he was paying me, because he was paying me, he said, that wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I went home I sat down and I scripted a whole show and I went to Liverpool and Jay tore it apart and said that might work that might work that's good that's funny and then I spent the next three months on borrowed cash basically and I must have spent about 50k altogether doing this sort of thing I went and watched every single stage hypnotist I could find that was working in the UK at the time. Ah, right. So I so, went and watched yeah. all their shows and just flowed in, mostly watching the audience, what the audience were reacting to and stuff like that. And, of course, nicking stuff. You know, we have a saying in show business, nick the best, ignore the rest. And um, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so, so you'd nick it and rewrite it and make it your own, you know. I mean, let people say, Oh, you shouldn't steal other people's stuff. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. There's only what 12 notes on a guitar, you know. Yeah, you, 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 you can't, can't the not wheel, nick can you? stuff now no. and uh, influence. And then the next time I went out, I stormed it. And then I don't think this sounds arrogant. I don't think I totally died on my backside. That's what we say, you know, or I died. 
I never got paid off. I never got anybody. There was one night that was really, really hard in a sergeant's mess. But the next day, they'd just been told that they were going out to Iraq. So that was a very difficult night, you know, because people were saying goodbye to their families and going to war, you know. And that was a hard one. That was a tough one. It wasn't, it was probably the next worst one that I ever did. But I still got people up. We still got laughs and still got rebooked for the next year actually but so yeah i think if you know the person you're having the conversation with pull chains pull press buttons <laughs> you know what i mean i'm all for being manipulated and for manipulating people if it's for their benefit that's a hard it's choice it's yeah. a hard choice but. yeah influence is a fine line isn't it because like in sales for example it's got to be a win-win but if the win is for them first and you second, then it becomes more about the motives, isn't it? If the motive is about you driving it for you to win and it's just a subsidiary byproduct that they happen to win too, that's where my value is. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. The approaching show business, which is a business, let's face it, you know, you're going to go out there, you're going to sell yourself to an audience. If you're somebody like Ricky Gervais or Billy Connolly or somebody like that or Lee Evans, then the audience is already sold on the fact that they're going to have a great night, you know. But if yeah. they've never seen you before, then you've got to sell that and you've got to sell that to the audience. <laughs> The only thing I can do is what I was always told to do by my grand. Do your best. Yes, yes. And I go out and I do my best. And if my best got me a standing invasion in Derby and it gets a sort of a, you know, the seal clapping when there's only one person, you know, doing that. Sounds like a seal. You know, you get a seal clap. Then in Stoke, then if I know I'm doing my best, I know it's not me, I know it's them. Yeah, I understand that sales have to be a win-win situation, but they really are. They're usually a win for the salesperson first because they're the ones making the profit. It depends, I suppose. It depends on what you're yeah. saying. You know? Yeah, and how you so, look at it as to what yeah, the win is. Yeah. yeah, if the person who's buying is happy with what they've got and they haven't got any complaints, you know, which is probably unusual nowadays, I should think then that's fine. Yeah, that's just great. be careful. You know, there are lots of social media platforms where you can throw your spear for good or bad these days. <laughs> I was looking at Instagram and thinking, because I'm actually retired from teaching them. I don't, I don't teach. I've got a couple of people chasing me for mentoring. If they ask the right questions and answer the questions I ask in the right way, I, I might mentor them. But I don't do the paper training anymore apart from my digital training, which is available off my website. We'll stick uh, it all in the show notes, don't you worry. And uh, <laughs> But as a place to produce art and to move people and to interact with people, get people to smile or to get them to cry, whatever, I am becoming a total obsessive about TikTok. It's absolutely amazing platform where for a minute, you know, I've got ADHD. I, you know, I mean, I've got the, I've got the attention span of a gnat. Actually, no, I've got the attention span of a gnat's toe and really, really short. You know, somebody said, what do you think about that attention? 
I said, I think it's the way we've evolved. I think it's an evolution. I don't think it's a discrepancy of the human mind. It's just, it's the way we've evolved. I mean, we used to have to get an abacus out and we'll count on our fingers. Yeah, we adapt, don't we? Some. We just pick a phone up now, don't we? And we just get the calculator and go, da, 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 it's done. So nothing's faster than the speed of thought. Nothing. You react faster than any computer ever could. But in a much more complicated and diverse way as well, especially you, because you happen to be female. <laughs> Did I say that? Did I say that <laughs> out loud? You said that out loud. <laughs> I said that out loud. There's a series that we've gotten into on TV. don't know what channel it is because you have to press a lot of buttons, but it's called the OA. I don't know what the OA stands for at all. It's like a couple of years old, I think. And it's about this girl who is Russian and she has a near-death experience. And there's a scientist that gets five people together that have all had near-death experiences and he's experimenting on them, for want of a better word. I can't give it away because I haven't seen the end. But it's one of those that makes you really think hard about, well, it keeps sort of taking them to a point of stop and bringing them back. And there are scenes of this like dreamlike state. So one of the things that my career sort of segued, I, I was a comedy stage hypnotist. I prefer a humorous hypnotist. But another thing that I did a lot of, I was the first one to do a series on radio, Beacon Radio in Wolverhampton of past life regressions, but I don't call them regression. I don't call it taking you back to your past life. I call it recall because obviously you can't go back in time, but you may be able to imagine that you can remember recall. And somebody asked me about it and they said, well, as a stoic, surely when you're dead, you're dead. I said, yeah, but there's an essence of life and there's no scientific proof that that doesn't exist yet. When there is scientific proof that that doesn't exist, then maybe we can do something about it. But maybe it's ancestry, maybe some memory goes up. I call it hypnotic tourism. But the thing is, I never, ever, 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 ever tell anybody. But I've taken lots of people through that imagination of the death experience from their past lives. And regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of background, regardless of history, regardless of religion, regardless of anything, with little bits of interpretation making them different, every single one of them has said the same thing on how it feels and what's happening. Yeah? Now, I think that because thought is energy and all that sort of thing, there is an essence that we can call life, and we don't know what that is. And I think you can only change energy. You can't destroy it, basic science. And maybe, just maybe, that that thing carries on and finds a suitable receptacle, which would probably be a brain, that's ready for it in whatever stage of development you know it needs it to be. Yeah, this is what um, Nick Venios talked about it in his episode with me. He was talking. I didn't about hear that one. Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and she was sort of saying that the ideas are in fact essence. That there's ideas all around us, and she said that she doesn't feel that there's a coincidence that you can have scientists working on the same problem that actually 
come to the conclusion more or less in, you know, simultaneously because that idea needs to be broken through. And it's by finding the people prepared to break through as well, which kind of takes us back to that. There's a timing for everything and, and a reason behind things happening when they need to. It's kind of interwoven, don't you think? There's definitely a causality, you know. I find it fascinating. Yeah, but it's so nuanced, so it's so disparate, it's so convoluted and so complexed that like somebody in Russia, and I think it's happening more and more and more now than it's ever done before because people are sharing the same information in the very same instant, in the very same time. Do you think that that's perhaps because there's more of us, so there are more vessels to voice it? No, it's this bloody thing. (laughs) Okay, we'll go with that. It's the internet. Yeah. It's the internet. More outlets for it to break free. Let's face it. If you went back in time to big manipulators, and all leaders are, and if you went back in time to big manipulators, saying what's going to manipulate a population more than anything else. I mean, the printing press. But this is wonderful for manipulators. You can manipulate people's thoughts and emotions so easily in this medium. You know, most of the hypnotists I know with one-on-one clients, 90% of them have been doing more work than less work because they've been doing it remotely with people in their own homes all over the world. And I think the ideas process is now getting faster because the tools we're using aren't an abacus anymore. You yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. almost instant feedback. It's just amazing. And the numbers involved are just crazy. They're, they're absolutely. And when you feed something with that much energy, it's going to spread and have an effect and, mm. you know. Good thing, bad thing. Well, that's that's just that's down to each of us. Isn't it? It's it's down to each of us. Yeah. Okay, I'm really really pleased to have brought Jonathan's conversation to you. There's lots of information on the website, all of the details for the various various multiple titles that he has written, and you'll find much more about Jonathan on the website. And that's all the W's, makingconversationscount.com. Until next time, where we will be bringing you... Brace yourself again, we've got Bryn Tillman from America. She is only the social selling LinkedIn expert extraordinaire. I can't wait. She gets me tongue-tied. Who knew? So one of the mistakes people make in social selling is they connect and pitch.